Easter may be the most triumphant holiday for Christians, but in order to get to the resurrection, Jesus had to make his way to the cross. The thing is, this journey to Calvary gets darker and darker the closer you get to Good Friday. And so how do we communicate this foundational yet dark Bible story to children? I'm Charles Morris, and this is The Great Stories Podcast. And today, we'll be talking with pastor, inventor, and children's book author, Marty Makowski, about how to pass on our faith to the next generation at Easter time. I know you'll find wisdom and great ideas to share in your own home when you listen to this fascinating conversation. Then after you hear it, I think you're going to want to learn more about an Easter picture book Marty wrote to stir up our affections for Christ this coming Easter. It's called Darkest Night, Brightest Day, a family devotional for Easter. And I know it will start a new tradition with the children in your life. Just visit haventoday.org and you can see samples and find out why we're calling it the Upside Down Easter Book. But for now, let's meet Reverend Marty Mikowski. Welcome to Haven Today and a series that we're calling Darkness to Light. And we're joined from the greater Philadelphia area by a pastor. His name is Marty Mikowski. He's written a lot of books, and he's also written a book called Darkest Night, Brightest Day. Marty, I want to say welcome. I'm glad to have you on Haven today. Thanks, Charles. It's great to be with you. And I wish we were sharing a cheesesteak, as we said earlier, but uh, we also got some wonderful things to talk about. I'm, I'm staring at a copy of your book right now. If you look at the front of the book, it says Darkest Night. It's a family devotional for the Easter season. Yes, it works for kids, great illustrations, but it also works for grown-ups like you and me. And But then you get halfway through the book, and after the Darkest Night chapters, you flip it over, and it's the brightest day. Brilliant. How did you come up with that idea, Marty? Well, I like to come up with creative ways to engage children. And uh, the idea to do a two-sided book, an upside-down book, as some people call it, with two covers, came uh, from the Book of Acts, actually, uh, where Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica, and they cause quite a stir. Uh, Some of the people there believe, but most don't. And they actually, a riot is is begun, and they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And I Mm. thought, isn't that what the gospel does? It it turns our sinful hearts into hearts that love God, uh, takes our guilt and gives us forgiveness takes our timidity and fear and gives us boldness. You know, Peter, who uh, denied Christ three times, uh, now at Pentecost proclaims the gospel boldly. And uh, that's what we see. The gospel turns the world upside down. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do in this book. We'll study the darkest night, or you might even say the darkest nights leading up to the death of Jesus Christ. And then on Resurrection Sunday, it flips that crucifixion. It flips death on its head. Jesus rises from the grave, and we have the brightest day in history, uh, victory to the king. And Mm. so I thought, let's put that in a book. 
and let's uh, give families something fun to lead their children through. Well, with that in mind, this coming Sunday is called Palm Sunday, traditionally. And even though you start your book about the darkest night and those dark days with the betrayal of our Lord, his arrest, the trial, the cross, you actually start it with a note of light. And that's the triumphal entry, which which really is the, the, the beginning of the Passion Week, as it's sometimes been called, but it's also the beginning uh, on a high note of what would become a very dark night before we saw light again. Talk to me just a little bit. Let's talk about this triumphal entry of our Lord and its significance in the lives of every believer today. Well, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem, and he fulfills the prophecy uh, coming on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, as king into Jerusalem. The, the crowd, that Lazarus has just been uh, raised from the dead days earlier. They're mm-hmm. excited. You know, they're hailing the king in fulfillment of the prophecy. The, the Pharisees say, uh, correct, you know, correct your disciples. Tell them to stop. And, mm-hmm. and Jesus says, if they be silent, the rocks would cry out. But he is very aware of mm-hmm. what he is going to. They don't realize Many of the people there probably thought Rome will be overthrown. The Messiah to restore the kingdom, the earthly kingdom of Israel has come. And Jesus knows that he's going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter and not open his mouth. He knows that unlike in past times when God called down his angels, no angels will come to his rescue save one angel to wipe his brow in the midst of the garden. And he is going to the cross. And so in the midst of the celebration, we see uh, that Jesus is going to his death. And he knows that. Mm. Disciples didn't know it. And even the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that point, they were out to get him. They wanted to kill him. But they had no idea what would conclude that next week, his death on the cross, and how it was part of this eternal plan of of God's for salvation. Marty, one of the things that I appreciate you do, you get us ready for the final outcome by dealing with the trap that was laid for our Lord, but then also the tragic event of his betrayal. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, the the Pharisees were looking for some way to uh, justify their jealous arrest of Jesus. And uh, so, you know, they they show him the coin. Um, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, And Jesus so brilliantly says, well, whose picture is on on the coin? Uh, Caesar. Oh, well, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Render unto God what is God's. They, They can't trap him. They're they're left befuddled. But then comes Judas. Judas comes in, and he's willing to betray the Lord Jesus Christ 
for 30 pieces of silver prophesied in the Old Testament, both his betrayal and the price of the betrayal. And we see this tragedy that one of the men who Jesus just earlier had washed his feet now turns against the Lord. Mm. Have you ever thought, Marty, of putting yourself into the role of Judas? You know, one New Testament scholar I know said, read yourself into the text. Have you ever thought of yourself as having betrayed your Lord? Well, that's, that's, that's a heavy thought. Um, it is. I think that we as, as readers of the Scripture, we like to read ourselves in as the hero. So, you know, in the story of David and Goliath, we all think that we're David when we're, yes. we're really the, the sinful Israelites refusing to trust God to go to battle against the foe. And here, uh, you know, we might tend to think that uh, we would not have denied or run away. But the reality is, apart from God's grace, where we began, mm. we are all like Judas. We seek our own good. We seek our own gain. And uh, yeah, you know, it's a that's a scary thought. But isn't that what uh, we've been saved from? Um, all our lives are sinful. Not, not one is righteous, not even one, Paul says hmm. to the Romans. Hmm. Marty Bukowski, uh, every time I lead a trip into Israel, and we go to Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives, we see the significant church that has been built on the side of the mountain, and then you're looking down across the Kidron, and you see Jerusalem on the other side, the old city, the temple, what's left of the Temple Mount. But we always go into the garden. We don't know exactly where the Garden of Gethsemane is today, but we go into what would have been part of the garden we pay the guy that owns it a little money. We go in and we just pray. Talk to me. Let's talk a little bit about the significance of the prayer that took place on the part of our Lord and even asking the disciples to pray before they came and arrested him, which would start the way to the cross. Jesus suffered through those prayers. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted like us in every way, yet he did not sin. And, and you see, Jesus comes right up to the edge when he says, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And, and, and you just, you get the, the sense of tension that, that he's aware of the great cost in that moment of the cross. He's, he's sweating drops of blood. He hasn't had the thorns put on his head, but he's beginning to carry the weight of that crown. And, and there, in anguish, he resolves that he's going to continue. He's, he's not calling down the angels from heaven. And, you know, we tend to think, oh yeah, he did it. He was the son of God. He kind of made it through you know, it, it, he did make it through, but it was not an easy moment. And when we go to heaven and we talk to the Lord about that time in the garden, I think that 
Uh, my guess would be that he'll say, yeah, most difficult day of my life. Mm. Marty Mikowski, we like to think where we live, most of the listeners to this program being in North America, that we have an honest and fair judicial system. But you're always hearing stories around the world of where there are trials that are held, uh, secret trials, trials that uh, the outcome is already decided. Well, for Jesus, it was an unfair trial, wasn't it? Let's talk about his trial leading up to his crucifixion and the cross. Well, his, his own people, the Jews, arrest him, and he goes before the high priest where they, they bring in false witnesses the scriptures tell us their testimony didn't even agree. Hmm. So there he is, standing before those he came to save, the, the, his very own people, and they have rejected him. It's been prophesied that uh, he would be rejected, but um, how difficult must that have been? The, the, the God who came as the champion leading uh, Joshua into the promised land, the commander of the, of the army of the Lord in his pre-incarnate state, the son of God comes down and says, be strong and courageous, is now rejected by the people whom he's brought the victory and is now going to bring an ultimate victory. So yeah, it, it had to be horribly difficult and then, of course, Pilate. Pilate actually tries to release Jesus. Mm-hmm. He says, I've found no guilt with this man. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and the Jews inciting the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Mm-hmm. Pilate, of course, gives in and uh, delivers Jesus over to death. So there again, his own people calling for his demise. It, it, it was a difficult time for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the cross. It's probably the most significant event in all of human history that even those who have not met Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord will someday finally realize. I once asked a famous New Testament scholar, how do I live the Christian life? And he thought for a moment, and then he responded, said, make your way to the cross, hang on for dear life, for the rest of your life until you're with Jesus face to face. You've written about the cross. What are your thoughts on this most significant day? The, the words of Jesus that are the, the most telling, I think, are when he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Mm. Because we know the suffering, the, the, the physical suffering of the cross, the nails, the, the crown of thorns, the, the beating before. Uh, but what isn't as apparent in that moment is the greater torture of the cross is when the wrath of God for the sins of the Lord's children are the poured out wrath of God upon Jesus Christ. God the Father forsakes his son. In, in 
In the Old Testament, we read the story of Abraham who uh, takes his only son to be sacrificed on the mountain. And at the last moment, God says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. What we know from this, these words of Jesus is that the hand of God to slay the only son was not stayed. Jesus died. Hmm. And just before he died, he, he utters these telling words, three words, it is finished. What is finished? Not, not just his life. Yes, his life is about to end. But what is finished before his life is finished is the wrath of God fully poured out and satisfied. Now mm. he can die. Mm. I think about those final words of Jesus. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today, Darkest Nights, Brightest Days. Marty McCaskey, he's a pastor at a church in suburban Philadelphia. He's on with us. He's written a book. We're talking about Easter, getting ready for Easter. Marty, let's talk about this a little bit. Some of us are high church. Some of us are very low church. But somehow we need to get ready for Easter. How do we do that? How do these dark days that we need to think about and ponder minister to us to prepare our hearts for the empty tomb and Christ alive? We all meet on level ground before the hill of Calvary. The Roman soldier who at the death of Christ, surely this was a righteous man. Mm. A thief mm. on the cross who was as far away from religion as one could get, who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Uh, the, the religious rulers represented in Nicodemus who came to Jesus uh, at, at, at night, afraid, now goes with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus down. He boldly uh, proclaims his faith. So we see at the cross men of high religion and men of no religion, Jews and Greeks. You see, when that temple curtain tore, signifying the way to the presence of God was now open. It became open for all of us. Um, this is about, do you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross, no matter what your background? Mm. You have so carefully brought in so many illustrations uh, of those final days of Christ here on earth these last few minutes. I want to say thank you for that. Let's go personal now. How does that relate to me or to you or to someone that you've encountered as all of us need to be getting ready for Resurrection Sunday and celebrating that momentous event? Well, Charles, let me just share just a snippet from my own conversion. I was a very religious man. I didn't miss a Sunday growing up. I, I attended the Catholic Church as a boy. And I watched, you know, every Easter, I saw uh, the stations of the cross, the, the passion of Jesus. And I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I, I saw the crucifix 
everywhere in my upbringing. But something happened one day when I was watching a televangelist. He taught me a part of the story that I didn't yet understand. He said, Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he added three words, for your sin, for you. He, he personalized the cross. I didn't realize that Jesus, when he hung on the cross, took my sin upon himself. If, if I had been the only sinner, his crucifixion would have still taken place. If I'd been the only one, he would have died for me. He knew me. And in that moment, I realized I had a decision to make. Would I follow the one who died for me? Would I give up my life for him? And I said yes and prayed a prayer confessing my sin and believing in Jesus Christ and his death for my sin on the cross. He took my penalty and suddenly a weight lifted from my shoulders and I, I, I just had this instinct within me. I'm forgiven. Mm. I had not thought that all my life I had felt like I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But when I realized Jesus died for me, I mm. knew not guilty, forgiven. Mm. Isn't it interesting? Of all things, the Lord used an evangelist preaching on a TV show to lead you to faith in Christ. It sounds like that was a remarkable day for you as a, what, I assume a teenager when you saw this TV show? I was in my early 20s between my junior and senior year of college. And, you know, what Paul says is uh, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of not some, but of everyone mm. who believes. Mm. And so the story of Jesus, God empowers that story by his spirit to be the key that transforms our heart, unlocks our understanding, and causes us to just swell up with joy over the reality that the God of the universe became a man and died to take my place, to take my sin on the cross, and then rose again on the third day, victoriously proving death has no longer a hold on him, nor all those who believe in him. Mm. Let's get down to some nuts and bolts. You've written this book, Darkest Night. You get halfway through, you flip it over, it becomes brightest day. Now, how do you follow this? How do you lead a child, but also a grown-up like me with these masterful illustrations, to work our way through leading up to Resurrection Sunday and then post-resurrection how do you do that? Kind of give me some nuts and bolts here, Marty. Well, you start with uh, the triumphal entry, as we uh, talked about earlier. And then each day you walk through the days of Jesus leading up to Good Friday and then Holy Saturday, um, where Jesus is in the tomb. Um, and what I've done is I've just taken all the accounts from the Gospels, the pieces of information that are not all in one place. 
uh, we don't see the same stories in each of the Gospels. And I've put them together to create a chronology of the days of Jesus leading up to his death. And then Easter Sunday, you flip the book around from the darkest night to the brightest day. Your kids wake up Easter morning and you begin with a resurrection story. And then the days following, you read about the appearances of Christ, mm -hmm. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, where he appears to the disciples, uh, Jesus, when he appears to doubting Thomas. And we see uh, these appearances of Jesus and how he relates to the disciples to show that he, in fact, is risen. He's eating fish with them. He's saying, touch my hands. I'm real. I'm not a ghost. <laughs> I am alive. Mm. And what I so appreciate, Marty, is you you don't just leave it with his earthly appearances after he's resurrected, after the stone is rolled away, as you title one of your chapters, but you lead us to the ascension, and then you lead us to Pentecost. Now, I'm going to give you one last chance to preach here, Marty. <laughs> Why do you end at Pentecost? Well, the story, of course, continues, but, you know, Pentecost is such a wonderful uh, moment. It's, it's the reversing of Babel and the beginning of the church. It's, you know, what God has separated in languages. You see, come together there in Pentecost, people, you know, uh, from many different languages, all hearing the disciples speaking in their own tongues. And then from there, the Great Commission begins to be exercised to all the ends of the earth. And uh, so, you know, and now here we are post-Pentecost where we are still spreading the word and we're waiting now for the second coming, for that return of Christ when he'll wrap up the shooting match, say it's all done, restore the earth and come down uh, to live with us on earth in the new heavens where we'll celebrate there won't be need for sun nor moon he'll be our light that's where we're going mm. looking forward to that as i know you are as well marty mikowski would you lead us in prayer right now yes i will lord i pray that the the days the dark days of the cross would uh, turn to the bright days of the resurrection for every listener. May they know the joy of Jesus's victory. Amen. Marty McCaskey, we didn't get the cheesesteak in together, but thank you. You've been a blessing to have on Haven today. You're welcome, Charles. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I also want to thank Marty McCaskey for joining me. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how we have Marty's upside-down Easter book called Darkest Night, Brightest Day, a family devotional available on our website. It's a creative, captivating, and theologically sound picture book that'll help you and the children in your life prepare our hearts for Easter. Just make your gift and request it at haventoday.org, and we'll send your copy out right away. Now, let me say that this is our 125th Great Stories podcast. We're excited about that milestone. 
And if you want to hear more content like what you heard on today's episode, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts? And you can go back and listen to the other 124 on your own time. But if you enjoyed this episode, why don't you help us get the word out, leave us a five-star review, and you can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and find additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.